You're listening to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Care of You. I hope you enjoy the show. Barkeep, give us a drink so we can discuss Rocks, the fourth studio album by Aerosmith. It was produced by Jack Douglas and released in May 1976 on Columbia Records. The album was one of the first to ship platinum upon release and reached number three on the Billboard 200. He likes to hear the jukebox singing and to get the dance hall swinging with his guitar hero heroics. On the other mic today is gaming YouTuber and rock and roll enthusiast David Lee Smith. Welcome to the show, David. What's up, Mr. Care of You? How you doing tonight? I'm doing just fine. And please, please, please call me Derek, okay? <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> well, always try to uh, respect my elders. But since I now have your permission, I will now call you Derek. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I didn't have to be called one of your elders, but I guess that's just the way things are. Or, or, <laughs> so uh, tell me, how did this album enter your life? Well, I was born in 1992, so I'm a, I was born in the trail end of the millennial generation. So, But like majority of the human race, I would come into, like many bands like Aerosmith, uh, through the hits. Mainly because of my, uh, during my elementary school years, um, late 90s, early 2000s, I would, when I would come home from school, um, well, I would have to go over to my grandma's house and then uh, my mom or my dad would come pick me up. And most of the time it was my mom and she was slipping like these greatest hits albums such as Stevie Ray Vaughan, Van Halen, Aerosmith, ZZ Top, uh, Motley Crue. Those are just to name a few. But in terms of Aerosmith, um, I would hear stuff, you know, like the hits, like I said, like Walk This Way, Sweet Emotion, Love in an Elevator, Janie's Got a Gun. And I would, I think, uh, uh, Eat the Rich um, as well, since those are like some, those are just only a few of the hits. It wasn't until, uh, you know, Guitar Hero, like you mentioned earlier, I'm a veteran when it comes to playing that. And uh, that's how I kind of got more of my um, taste for exposure to a lot more bands. Because, uh, you know, it's not all the time where some of the bands that you came in from your generation um, is, you know, brought into Guitar Hero. And I'm very happy that's a thing because um, Guitar Hero Aerosmith, uh, which was one of the first, uh, like the Guitar Hero band games, because there's Guitar Hero Aerosmith was the first one. Second one was Guitar Hero Metallica. Then the last one was Guitar Hero Van Halen. And uh, thanks to those three, I was able to get a deep dive of those bands. And uh, Aerosmith, um, I already know a few of the songs uh, from this album. And it wasn't until um, after discovering the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews podcast back in 2019, I believe of March of that year. Around that time, I was finally deciding to, um, you know, start collecting some albums and start doing some album dives. But I started collecting Stevie Ray Vaughan, Joe Satriani, uh, Jimi Hendrix. And then uh, around that time, after discovering that podcast, I decided to start, you know, getting into diving into Aerosmith more. And then I looked up, you know, like, what's the most highest ranked of the Aerosmith albums? And I saw that Rocks was the top of the list. So I decided to give that first listen. And I was... Um, I said earlier, I was familiar with some of the songs off of this album, like Back in the Saddle, Last Child, um, Rats in the Cellar, Nobody's Fault, and I think, uh, oh, and Combination as well, where it's those those were the songs that I was already familiar with. Around that time, I decided to go and f listen to the other ones, and I've, uh, I'll say my opinions on those uh, songs uh, when we go through the track by track. So that was like the first uh, Aerosmith album I've ever listened to, so... Um, it was a really good start. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. So I came into Aerosmith because I'm 20 years older than you. So the first time I remember hearing Aerosmith was their crossover cover with Run DMC, uh, which when they covered, when Run DMC covered Walk This Way and Aerosmith was mm -hmm. a part of that. 
Yes. And a good friend of mine at the time, uh, Mike Bruda, I don't think you listen to the show, but if you do, this is about you, was into a lot of the classic rock stuff. And so he liked Aerosmith and he really didn't like that cover. And so then I got to hear the, uh, he had the original. And so I heard the original Walk This Way. And then I was a, a metalhead in high school. And so when Permanent Vacation came out, they kind of got lumped in with a lot of uh, the metal at the time. I actually got this record because of a cover of Nobody's Fault. So a thrash band, Testament, covered it, and I loved their cover. And so I ended up picking this one up shortly thereafter. I think it was one of those albums that they had under what was at the time called A Nice Price. Had a little sticker on it and everything. And so I probably picked this up for, I don't know, five bucks, six bucks, something like that. And so that was a thing that, um, you know, I remember picking up uh, some like old Kiss records and some old Aerosmith records and some ACDC records that way. So this is just one that really stuck with me, mainly because of Nobody's Fault, and which, like you said, we'll talk about in just a little bit. So but that was my introduction to this uh, album as a whole. And I knew a couple of the other songs because I think some some of them uh, are on the original Greatest Hits package that they had, that red, uh, red and white one, which I remember buying for my dad because he just totally jumped onto the air. Aerosmith train at this point. So in 87, 88, that kind of thing. And so I ended up buying him that. And so we would listen to that in his car and then had the other greatest hits package that was, I think before it called gems, which, uh, once again, also had nobody's fault and my probably second favorite Aerosmith song in, um, Lord of the Thighs. So it was a combination of those two and then picking this up and just, this is a great record. And that's why we're talking about it. So let's go ahead and jump into our track by track analysis. We have side one, song one, the aforementioned Back in the Saddle. I love how the opening guitars and the drums really build some tension. Like you're not really sure where this is going to go just yet. And then Steven Tyler just screeches right into the chorus. Like we're not fucking around. <laughs> we're giving you everything right now. And so you have that, you know, first opening, whatever, 10, 15 seconds of, of music. And, and then once he starts to sing, this is just, this is balls to the wall really right from the beginning. And it's got those, you know, strutty rhythms and, a real fluid bass line. And, you know, one of the things I never really noticed at the end, there's kind of horse sounds. Like you can hear a little bit of clumping and galloping in the background, which I didn't notice until, I don't know, maybe a month ago. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can hear him doing, you know, like he's saying stuff and you, it just sort of sounds like background noise at that point. And I'm like, oh, he's getting a horse ready. Of course. And I'm not really going to talk about any of the lyrics or very few of the lyrics on this record because it's so it's 70s Aerosmith. They're either talking about sex or drugs or sex and drugs or drugs on sex or something. So uh, there's not a whole lot to hold on to any of these things lyrically, but just the way he sings is just it, it's it's rock and roll. What do you think about this one, David? I cannot agree with you more. I mean, if you have an album title called Rocks, this is the way to kick off an album. And that's this song does what the album title promises. I'm going to steal that line from uh, Aaron Martell. But yeah, um, it starts pretty slow. Um, I mean, not slow, but um, kind of quiet with the uh, little guitars. And then Steven Tyler, 
the demon is screaming as he was um uh, gotten that nickname the screaming the screaming demon that's where he really got his um showcased his nickname there are really good lyrics in this uh uh, throughout this album, actually, um, peeling off my boots and chaps, I'm saddle sore. Four bats get you time in Iraq. I scream for more. Brilliant line there. I mean, a lot of these lyrics were actually really good um, back then. I mean, uh, yeah, like you said, um, this song is about um, using. Uh, it's a sex song, but they used uh, uh, riding horses and saddles as a metaphor for it. But yeah, the um, Brad Whitford guitars, which I have no doubt in my mind, we're gonna praise him. As a matter of fact, he deserves to be praised. Brad Whitford is a stellar guitarist, and this is like this is his album right here, I think, because he does play the lead on here. While Joe Perry actually plays that bass riff, <laughs> a smackdown Joe Perry, if you will, he he came up with that uh bass line that which is catchy, very very good uh bass riff. During the uh, solo section, you can barely hear the solo because uh, of the uh, like you said the noises near the end of the song. Uh, but I'm actually happy because the Guitar Hero games, like I talked about earlier, that song is on Guitar Hero Aerosmith. You know, you can hear the instruments a lot more clear and uh, you can hear the solo because you can uh, change the volume of the instruments in there. And you can hear it a lot easier if you're to, you know, watch a video of it or something like that or if you're to play the game itself. You can hear the uh, guitar in that song uh, a lot better. I mean, because you could barely hear it um, whenever you listen to the album. It's there, but barely. Um, you said Jack Douglas was the producer. Um, the production's really, really good on here because Joey Kramer's drums sound great. Tom Hamilton under there sounds really good. I know Jack Douglas also uh, produced another album uh, during this year in 1976, uh, which I don't think is a very good, very great album, which was that Jump On It album by Montrose. It's okay album, but a lot of the production on there was kind of muddy. But then again, I can understand how Jack, Lug Jack Douglas was a pretty busy man uh, back then. But yeah, um, like you said, Totally rocking start to the album that of the album known as Rocks. This song does what the album title promises for sure. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to track two, Last Child. What are your thoughts here? Well, I first heard this on uh, Guitar Hero 2 because this was the first song off this album that I heard um, uh, from there. It's a cover version because that was when uh, Guitar Hero at the time was, you know, low budget. So that's a rely on making covers. They did very uh, solid covers of majority of the songs. So um, I was already familiar with this one. You know, it starts off kind of quiet. Um, and then it goes into a rock funk extravaganza. And uh, lyrically, it's about um, Steven Tyler's kind of country roots. But the funk is just all over the place on this song. And Brad Whitford, this is like his baby right here. Because, um, again, he's still in the lead here. His solos are just stellar throughout this entire album. This song included both the middle and uh, like um, outro sections that he does. And, um, yeah, Brad Whitford... Um, I'm pretty convinced that he's a better guitar player than Joe, than Joe Perry. I really hate to say that about Joe Perry because, I I mean, I love both of them. But, I mean, it's kind of um, – I think a lot of people would kind of look at Joe um, – excuse me, Brad Whitford as kind of like, eh, he's kind of like the rhythm guy and not so much as like what Joe Perry kind of contributes. But not so much here. This is just a great song that he came up with. And this is, like I said, this is his baby, just the – funk rock extravaganza from start to finish with plenty of cowbell baby and that's what i love they're just keeping the momentum going and i love it yeah when i was making my notes for this one i, I kind of remember when i first heard it and i was thinking like you said it has this real slow open and i thought ah a ballad already you don't want to ballad at song two 
And then you're like, nope, 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 this is not a ballad. And then you can hear it right from when the beginning when he goes, right. And that just puts on this slinky groove. And like you said, all the, the guitar work on this is, and I don't really follow who's playing what. I don't play guitar hero. I'm not a musician. Sometimes I can tell, sometimes I can't. The contributions of uh, Bradley Whifford here are just undeniable. Just that slinky groove. And it's got like real minimalist drums on it, uh, but a real playful bass line that runs you know, throughout the thing, but he also does some real fun runs with it. And this is just, I don't know if I go as far as funk, but this is definitely slinky rock, a little bit of a fake out right at the beginning. And I think really makes this song, the song works, this song rocks. And, you know, it's not quite as, it's, it's not that same rock as back in the saddle. It's, it's shown that, that there's going to be a couple of different flavors on this record, mm-hmm. though. The main flavor is awesome. Absolutely. Van Halen, uh, kind of covered this. Did, did you ever hear that version? what did you think of it? I thought it was actually when Van Halen did covers of songs. I mean, you know, just hearing that Brown sound of Eddie's guitar. And if you can handle David Lee Ross vocals, you know, you can get used to it. I thought it was all right. I've never heard that. I'll have to check that out. I didn't know they did a cover of this one. I mean, of course they were known for their cover songs. Like I listened to it right before you uh, called to the meeting. Uh, I forgot to listen to the uh, Testament version because I'm not familiar with Testament right now because I'm still kind of entering that phase of trying to get dive into bands. I mean, I knew, of course I knew the name and I know that um, on that R4 podcast episode that uh, members of the regulars on there mentioned that they did a cover of it. I forgot to listen to that prior to coming on here. If you look it up on YouTube, Van Halen Roots is what it's called, like uh, disc two out of three. It's on there and I thought it was all right. Oh, give that a listen not sure Absolutely. yeah <laughs> and i i really like old older van halen so i mean i, I, me I love david lee roth era so i honestly thought you were going to tell me uh where'd you get the name david lee smith when aaron when asked me uh, uh where'd you get the name david lee smith i thought he was going to ask uh it's not because of david lee roth right and i honestly wished i thought that was the case because my mom was a huge was a huge van halen fan uh she prefers dlr over sammy and uh, but i'm Fortunately, it was because uh, someone from her side of the family was also named David Lee. But I, I honestly believe that was because of David Lee Roth. But that's not the case. Uh, what's the old saying in the newspaper? Like if uh, if the rumor is better than the truth, print the rumor. So always, yeah. always remember <laughs> yeah. that. From now uh-huh. on, you just tell everybody that your mom named you after David Lee Roth. I think that's the best way to <laughs> I'll, go about I'll, it. I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> Track three, Rats in the Cellar. This song is all go. Uh, this has that 1970s rock and roll swagger like Aerosmith fucking invented it. I mean, the instrumental part towards the end, uh, the guitars kind of sound like the harmonicas. I don't I couldn't see anything that there was a harmonica listed as being played on this. So I think it's just more about what's uh, what's happening with the guitars. But I think that part. So it's about what uh, about two thirds of the way through. I think that instrumental break should be used on every 1970s guitar or every 1970s cop chase scene uh you know if there's cars you know smashing into fruit 
uh, vendors and broken glass, that instrumental should be used for at least part of it or at least once in the movie. And I will stand by that. This is another one I think that the uh, of their early stuff is fairly well known and you can, you know, I, I think it may have even been released as a single. This may have even been the first single. I don't remember. I don't pay attention to that as quite as much. But yeah, this is just another one. It's uh, it, it doesn't have like the, the slinkiness of the of the second one. It doesn't have quite of the first one. So again, it's like a slightly different flavor here, but it's just that swagger. And, you know, for a long time, I, I had always maintained that if you were in a heavy band, uh, you either took after Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin or some combination of those two. But the more I listened to this early era Aerosmith, that, they're their own thing. And I would put them on the Mount Rushmore of of heavy metal, uh, you know, so not of my own personal favorite four, but I think of the four most important, you know, Sabbath. Zeppelin, Aerosmith, and then Alice Cooper are the four that I would put up there. As far as influences, like, uh, you know, there would be no heavy metal without those four bands, or at least as we know it today. And I think almost every heavy metal band or hard rock band owes some debt of gratitude to those four artists. And you can hear why a lot in this song. What do you think about it? I totally agree with you on that. I mean, uh, in terms of heavy metal, um, a lot of people would kind of look at like, you know, like you said, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath and um, Deep Purple as well, because they were like, you know, proto metal at the time. But, yeah, a lot of metal bands did take a lot of influence from Aerosmith, like Metallica did. Um, I'll I'll talk about Metallica kind of taking influence from Aerosmith when we go down the album here. But, yeah, I can totally see where the um, heavy metal would come to this, because I wouldn't really call Aerosmith a complete metal band, because a lot of the stuff of Aerosmith were, you know, mainly influenced by the Rolling Stones. They were like the successors to the Stones, you know, with the guitar interplay kind of music uh, like you know Keith Richards did with uh, a lot of the other guitars that he worked with and then of course so you had Joe Perry and Brad Whitford and then and after that would be Guns N' Roses which was um, Slash and um, uh, say Easy Stradlin. Yeah I can totally agree with you on that but Rats in the Cellar punky energy in this fast-paced rocker. Joe Perry takes the lead here for the guitars and uh, you said about a uh, harmonica that is a harmonica that Steven Tyler's playing and um, okay. uh, well done I should say well done harmonica I'm a sucker for harmonica in terms of rock music um, and you said it was the first single uh, I do know what the singles are the first single was Last Child the second single was uh, Home Tonight and the third single was uh, Back in the Saddle. Oh so this Those wasn't even one. Okay I think I was I was confusing album. it with Last with uh, Last Child. Thanks yeah. for providing some actual information. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> well, glad I held on to my notes. <laughs> Joe Perry's fast-paced ripping on here is incredible. The entire pace of the song and um, Steven Tyler's lyrics about drug addiction, um, really good lines in here as well. Um, this is just a killer, killer track. Um, they're, they're still keeping the momentum going. They're still promoting what the album title promises. It's still rocking. But yeah, um, the harmonica before... Um, the solo from uh, Joe Perry, Down and Dirty, um, one of the finest guitars from the 70s for sure. And of course, Brad Whitford will talk about um, more, um, go through, but these two are really a, were a force to be reckoned with in terms of the guitars. But yeah, the instrumental instrumental break with that cop chase thing, yeah, I can totally see that. Amazing breakdown and uh, more harmonica from Steven Tyler, really well done here. Um, you know, just taking that uh, big rock, bombastic rock into the finish. Oh, it's, so much loving heart bands you know Aerosmith and Van Halen would do this up-tempo stuff Aerosmith were so good at that back then oh my I can't get enough of this it's just amazing yeah so good and like I said I don't consider Aerosmith to be a heavy metal band I just think that 
their influence on heavy metal, especially stuff in uh-huh. the 80s, especially Guns N' Roses, is just is pretty undeniable. They have a few songs where I think you could go as far as calling them metal, which we'll see definitely one of these on the second half here. Uh, but I just think that their their contribution, and of course what they got from the Stones, yeah, that's undeniable as well. But I think just just that sure. strut, just those strutty rhythms is what they gifted to, to metal. So let's go ahead and move on to track four, Combination. What do you think about this one? One of Aerosmith's underrated tunes, in my opinion. This song right here, I think, is Joe. This is all Joe Perry right here. This is his baby right here. Because he has a song where all the guitars are playing that riff, but just a little bit off of each other is awesome. Great start to the song. And the vocal harmonies. Oh, my gosh. They just... I love the vocal harmonies throughout this song. At first, I thought, you know, since Joe Perry wrote this whole thing, this is all Joe Perry. No one else uh, was contributed to the songwriting of this. It's so Perry here. I honestly thought that Joe Perry was kind of a little bit ahead, you know, higher in the mix than Steven Tyler in the mix. But the vocal harmonies between Joe Perry and Steven Tyler are awesome. And, uh, but, you know, that bubbly riff, um, that do 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 the great riff and i honestly love the riff where it kind of goes you know where he would they would sing the lines i traded you for me that little riff that i actually wish that riff was used a lot of the song because i think that's like that's got to be like my favorite part of the song you know just that riff where they do you know do that i wish that was a lot used a lot more like i said um but yeah the song here's a uh Another uh, tale of uh, substance abuse. I like the lines, I traded you for me. And uh, walking on Gucci wearing Eve St. Laurent is a great line, too. Man, I mean, then it goes in that little solo section. A very good work from Joe Perry. You know, just make it back to get to the finish. They're just, oh my, one of their, truly, I think, one of their underrated tunes for sure. I love this tune. It's one of my favorites. This is the only one that I don't recognize just based on the title. This is always a song I kind of forget about. They bear it there at the end of side one. Uh, I think all the elements are there. Like you said, that that one riff is pretty great. And uh, this is one of the few times where uh, Joe and Steven are singing together. It just it has everything you kind of want. But for some reason, it doesn't work quite as well for me. Just for whatever reason, it's a it's a good tune, but it's not one that I go directly to. Like I said, I, I can't even I, when I don't get the tune, when I just look at the title, like everything else, I can hum a part of it or a song, you know, a bit of the song comes where it's a solo or you know, a lyric or something. This is always one like, which one is this one again? And then I, oh, OK. Right, right, right. So uh, I like it, but I, I can see why they sort of put it here at the end of side one. So that does, in fact, bring us to the end of side one of Rocks by Aerosmith on I Fucking Love This Record with my special guest, David Lee Smith. Uh, now, as we mentioned, uh, and you've mentioned a few times, you have your own YouTube channel, which you can find at youtube.com backslash C backslash Davy Lee Smitty one T. Uh, so obviously you have enough followers that you have a personalized uh, name, which is pretty cool. Tell me a little bit about this YouTube channel. Well, I mean, it's more, you know, like you said, it's a, you know, I play video games and Guitar Hero and, and uh, I'm planning on kind of talking about music albums because, uh, you know, after Eddie Van Halen passed, I started to uh, 
you know, started to really get into it because I planned on uh, doing the uh, David Lee Roth era of Van Halen albums. You know, I was I've been getting a little lazy lately, mainly because of, you know, working overnights at work uh, can really uh, make you do that sometimes. But I plan on doing that at some point and maybe we'll if I can keep talking about music. But yeah, um, you know, video games and talking about, and, you know, music and uh, we're two of my biggest passions and they still are. And I thought, you know, uh, I know uh, watching people, you know, play video games or watching Guitar Hero. Um, I mean, but it's all about entertainment, right? I mean, it's like you making this podcast and just talking about, you know, blabber on about music. I mean, hey, that's what I like to do, too, especially with the other podcasts that I visited. The uh, Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews podcast, which is an entertaining podcast. You've been on that episode um, discussing Dio's Holy Diver, an absolutely brilliant album. And I was on the uh, I've been on the that podcast a few times uh, i will be back on it uh next year because he uh aaron the uh, host of that show uh, kind of changed his uh little routine where he's gonna start doing it bi-weekly now which i'm actually a little disappointed but i won't argue about that i mean he's got his uh personal stuff to deal with so i'll let him slide <laughs> but um <laughs> i have no doubt that i am i'm sure he's a very busy man but um and i've always i was also featured on the retros s podcast um with a guest ho- with a host uh curtis longclo um who is a friend of the ridiculous rock record reviews podcast he's been on a few times on that podcast as well but he invited me uh back in august of last year to talk about the 30th anniversary of uh, stevie ray vaughn's passing because stevie ray vaughn is my all-time favorite uh guitarist he's my idol i could ramble on about how much i love him i'm completely sober i hope that doesn't offend you because i'm sure you uh you know do alcohol and stuff I, I don't mean to offend any alcoholics out there i am uh, proudly sober because of him and uh i really respect his personality and uh you know having grown up with stevie ray vaughn just really kind of ignited the fires of me getting uh, into rock and roll uh, thanks to my mom very respected man a very respected guitarist you know playing video games and just uh, putting them as entertainment on a youtube channel just kind of talking about it and then you know just you know it's entertainment and see if you know people would like to you know try these games out for themselves or maybe play guitar hero or maybe get into rock and roll music uh, themselves um i mean if i can inspire them as well as like you know people would do with podcasts um talking about music like yours um you know get people to listen to these records that you talk about with your guests uh, you know inspire them to listen to these uh, albums or me uh inspiring others to play guitar hero or you know the games that i play on there just to you know it's all about the entertainment and i uh, really appreciate people that tell me uh oh hey i really enjoy this or or you know any positive feedback which i'm sure um, anybody who's anybody really enjoys and uh, you know if they want to try that out for themselves and hey that's um that that will just really put a smile on my face I, mean, I think anybody who's anybody could agree to that yeah that's pretty much all that all that is to it i mean i've been doing this for quite a long time and i don't see any signs of stopping positive feedback is is always nice so let's go ahead and flip this bad boy over side two song five sick as a dog So I actually pulled this one out on vinyl just the other day. I was listening to it, preparing for the show. And I, I like listening to things on vinyl when there's the, when it was obviously meant that way. So you're, you're seeing how the band laid it out as opposed to a nine track CD. You're looking at two halves of vinyl. And all that said, I don't really care for the opening of this song. Like it's a good song. 
in it, but it's weird that they chose that intro to kick off side two. The chorus is super catchy. It's a it's a good tune, but just not one I think I would have placed right where it was. So you know, we do talk about sequence, sequencing a, a little bit on this show and another podcast that I listen to a lot, Records Revisited. They're always talking about sequencing. And so that's something that's always been in uh, the back of my head when preparing for the show. And it's a good song, but just I, I just don't think I would have necessarily put it here. What do you think about it? Well, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, sequencing does have a big you know, always will play a big part in terms of albums. I agree with you completely. Um, as a matter of fact, on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews podcast, shout out to Rock and Mike Cordes because he's a he's the he's like the sequencing freak on, on that show. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but but yes, I completely with, I I completely agree with you on terms of sequencing. But what's interesting is that Tom Hamilton contributes to this song because he plays the rhythm guitar. Um, because Brad is back on the lead here. It's not you know completely off the rails rock and roll like you expect like from the previous couple tracks. You know, it's mid tempo and um, like you said the chorus is really catchy and um joe and uh, steve and tyler play the bass on here the lyrically it's about steven uh, going after an older woman you know but i i really do like the arrangements of this song i mean uh with the uh, hand claps kind of going into the next track they're kind of stones like hand claps i mean i'm always a sucker for hand claps and uh, as a matter of fact i do like fing- i happen to like finger snaps as well but hand claps completely destroy those as all the way. But yeah, the hand claps just kind of serve as like a little segue to the next track. Oh boy. I mean, it's a solid tune. I Yeah, probably would not have opened up side two, but you know, it, it, it's solid. I, I won't complain about it. But yeah, just wait until we get into the next track, folks. And if you like uh, songs with hand claps, if you have not done already, you need to check out a band called the Afghan Wigs. So the singer Greg Dooley has another band also called, or another band called the Twilight Singers. And I think every album he has ever done at least one track has hand claps on it. So if you're a sucker for hand claps, check out the back catalog of Greg Dooley, which I would suggest, even if you don't like hand claps, because they're my favorite band. So I'll keep that in mind. For, I'll keep that in mind for sure. <laughs> Let's move on now to track six, Nobody's Fault. David, tell me, what do you got? What is there to say about this song? I was already familiar with this tune, and, you know, to all the people that do not give Brad Whitford enough credit, I say screw them, because this is the underrated gem of a Brad Whitford lead right here. This is his tune right here, and one of the, I could tell this is one of the great Aerosmith tunes ever that they've ever done in their career. Because it starts off with the volume swells intro. I mean, I do like volume swells, but this actually happens to be the volume swells that Metallica borrowed for their uh, song Damage Incorporated from Master of Puppets. And then it just goes into complete utter chaos as soon as the leads, you know, as soon as the band kicks in. That Brad Whitford screaming leads and Steven Tyler's screechy vocals. It's a song about the apocalypse. And the songwriting in this song is absolutely phenomenal. There are parts of the song like the chromatic, you know, like the chromatic descending parts you know where he says like eyes are full of desire it feels like you're descending down into the apocalypse very well done uh lyrics and uh harmonies in the chorus as well story was um that um the band had a fear of flying and they were uh dealing with uh being close to a uh uh with a fault line i was gonna say whose fault was it i was gonna say maybe the san andreas's fault i mean but you know the song says nobody's fault so i guess it's not but anyway the band had a fear of flying so that was the story behind this song but yeah um 
the Brad Whitford leads and the uh, solo breaks. Brad Whitford's not a uh, virtuoso guitarist. I mean, well, you know, the term virtuoso is like something I sometimes I kind of, you know, kind of get confused with in terms of describing guitar players. Like virtuoso, of course, like means something that one who is good at, like a lot of people who's anybody can be described as a virtuoso. You know, whenever you say guitar virtuoso, you think of guys like Eddie Van Halen or Steve Vai or Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jimi Hendrix. Joe Perry and Brad Whitford are not, you know, virtuoso guitarists, um, like complete shredders or outright stuff that are going to blow you away. But they're playing completely suited the songs. The solos are uh, crying bluesy leads with, I think, the little touch of wah in there. It's just absolutely fantastic from start to finish. And oh, whew, what a ride this song is. Absolutely a standout track. This is my favorite. And like you said, Testament did a, a cover of this song, but I'm still yet to listen to that. But I'll have to do that at some point. Um, favorite track on this album? Absolutely a standout. Yeah. As far as going to like any anybody that's in as a virtuoso guitar player, there's a few that I'm like, OK, that's fine. And as long as you're in service of the song, because I, I like to say I would rather listen to the worst ACDC song than the best Ingve Malmsteen song, because at least mm-hmm. the ACDC song will be memorable. Like, I don't give a shit how fast you can play. I really don't give a shit as long as if it sounds great. Sure, that's fine. You know, there's plenty yeah. of really fleet fingered leads that I've loved over the years. But I would I, I want something memorable. And at least in these days, Aerosmith. We're writing some fucking memorable songs, and this is one of them. Uh-huh. And depending on the day and my location, this Nobody's Fault is my favorite Aerosmith song. The only one that comes close is Lord of the Thighs, which should be the all-time ultimate strip club song. I don't know that I've ever heard it there, but I haven't been to a strip club in probably 40 years, so I'm, I'm only 48. So it's probably been less time than that, but anyway. Uh, and <laughs> I... since we're talking about this record every day of the week, this is my favorite song on the record by far. And this is the one that... There's no, this is a heavy metal song. So they may not have been a heavy metal band, but this is definitely a heavy metal song. And when I first heard it, like I said, after having heard a thrash band's cover of it, you always wonder like how much heavier did they make the song? It was like the first time I had heard Metallica covering Stone Cold Crazy by Queen. And I didn't, I knew some Queen songs. I didn't know that one. And so I just assumed that they had really punched that one up and no, (laughs) you know, that, you know, the Queen version is still pretty heavy and the Uh same thing here. Now, of course they have thrashier guitars. It's a little bit faster, but not significantly. So, so this was my entry point to this album. This is the heaviest song they probably ever did, but it still has a touch of that groove. So they haven't abandoned that, you know, what makes Aerosmith really, different at that time you know like we said those strutty rhythms and it's not quite there like you're going to see in you know last child or something but they didn't abandon it to go totally heavy but this is the time that like you said this is you know could be about the apocalypse i I read somewhere somebody thought it was about a specific earthquake in san francisco in the early 1900s or whatever and you know just no matter what it's about, it's a song that it's not about chasing pussy or chasing drugs. You know, it's a, it's about something a little bit different. Uh, so it's a, it's an outlier, both musically and lyrically on this record, but still feels a part of this record. And it's such a highlight. I'm surprised that they saved it for Sive 2. You know, it's, it's reason to flip the record over, I guess, no matter what. So yeah, this is a fantastic track, all-time favorite, either one or two, all-time favorite of Vera Smith, depending on, like I said, the day or location. Sure. I mean, everyone in this everyone on here this track they just bring it i mean joey kramer's drums just absolutely thud fitting in with the apocalyptic theme that the song is going for i mean everyone on this song they bring it and that this is close you know getting to a metal song and i can definitely see where the metal influence would come from from a song like this totally this is where they were getting close to a metal they were bringing it for sure that's the truth move on to track seven get the let out Whoa, whoa. 
now we kind of fall back down to some more standard style Aerosmith. You know, it's right there in the lyrics. You can hear like there's just the boogie woogie to this one. And so they follow up this like a real heavy song with something a lot more playful, a lot more fun. And this is where the, the sequencing, I think, really works. You wouldn't you, you wouldn't want to totally slow it down following Nobody's Fault. You're not really going to out heavy Nobody's Fault. You know, th- this era of Aerosmith isn't going to do that. So what do you do? You play to your strengths. You know, it goes right there. The only thing I don't like about this is the bridge where like the the repeated no-nos, it just takes the wind out of the sails of this one. It stops the momentum. But then I really like the guitar solo just sounds really interesting at the end. Usually we think of guitar solos as being a little bit more flash. And this is just, it has different types of harmonics or something. Again, I'm not a musician. I don't know. It just has a different sound to it. And I think that really makes it work. And if you could just do something better with that bridge, this is a far better song. It's a good song that I think just loses, it loses its momentum, but picks it back up again with this interesting, more or less an outro. What are your thoughts here? I really do like this one. I mean, uh, this song is, of course, kind of like typical hard rock uh, lyrics. I mean, very good uh, riff rocker from Aerosmith. Uh, a very good serviceable deep cut. Steven Tyler is uh, singing about something that I'm sure he's acquainted with, trying to get a woman on the dance floor that he wants to get acquainted with. Very groovy riffs. I mean, yeah, I mean, they jam out near the end with, you know, with that outro part. I mean, uh, they're still keeping the moment- momentum going. Um, maybe this would have been a better starter. I mean, I was going to say Nobody's Fault would have been a maybe a better starter for Side 2, but then again, I was thinking and maybe that should have been served as like an album closer. I mean, I know we'll get into that pretty soon here, but I mean, get the let out. I mean, it's a very, very serviceable um, song. I mean, we discussed this on the R4 podcast that this one was kind of fillerish, and I do kind of feel the same way, you know? I mean, but but hey, it's quality filler. I mean, uh, this is just a uh, album track. You got to have songs like this to kind of round out an album, and it's very serviceable. But yeah, I still like it. Yeah, you need those songs to bring you from one place to another. It's not a greatest hits package where it can just be great, 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 great. Sometimes you need those different moves, moods and movements and all these different things. And, you know, the thought of starting side two with Nobody's Fault is kind of tempting, but I just think it's hard to go somewhere uh, with these songs with that as your lead. I think you need to give it a little bit of its own space. Uh-huh, yeah. So I can uh, I can see why they did that. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and move on to track eight, Lick and a Promise. What are your thoughts here, David? Well, I kind of thought with a song title like Licking a Promise, I thought, you know, uh, Steven Tyler trying to trying to, you know, uh, sneak in a little pickup line in there. You know, that Steven Tyler's kind of trying to say, I'll give you a Licking a Promise. But that's not the case here. This song, I think, is a very, very great deep cut of an uh, for Aerosmith. I think the song uh, Thin Lizzy would be proud of. I mean, it doesn't have the uh, guitar harmonies that Thin Lizzy was known for. But lyrically, I think uh, Thin Lizzy would be proud of this. It's like Johnny the Rocker who lives that rock and roll lifestyle. That's what it's um, that's what it's about. The drum intro um, would be nicked by Tommy Lee uh, for the Molly Crew song Bastard. That's where mm-hmm. um, they got this from. I know uh, Motley Crue was another band influenced by Aerosmith. It's still a very good follow-up, and I think this is how Aerosmith can just really lay it down here. I mean, uh, whenever he says something like Steven Tyler would say, like, that a pizza, and uh, I think that completely blasts away James Taylor when he does that little <laughs> yeah kind of stuff, and uh, I think that's where he was kind of, I kind of wonder if that's how James Taylor kind of got those a pizza 
except Steven Tyler does them a whole lot better. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, James Hetfield, um, we were talking about um, Nobody's Fault. James Hetfield did say that that was his favorite Aerosmith song. Uh, good choice, uh, Mr. Hetfield. I love the Looking at Promise chorus, and especially with the whole na-na-nas things. Um, I think this would have been a very good live track for the uh, crowd to kind of participate in, especially with the uh, little hooks throughout the song. The solo itself is not, you know, it's it's good, but it's nothing uh, spectacular. It's not, not going to blow you away. You know, it's kind of simple solo, but I really enjoy this one. It's a very good deep cut, in my opinion, because like you said, you talked about that Gems album. This was on there. The Greatest Hits album I was talking to you about was the uh, Big Ones. I think it's interesting whenever bands uh, release uh, compilation albums of deep cuts and uh like I said, this was on that uh, Gems album. And they said it was uh, really a uh, very good one. The band said it was a very good one to put on that album. And I have to agree with you. I have to agree with them. This one, I think, is very good. I feel like you stole about half of my notes there, David. So, uh, <laughs> I'm yeah. So, yeah. I'm so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're just we're listening to the same song. We're listening to the same thing. Because uh, uh, I said, I'm going to start with when you talk about how it feels like a live song. The whole time I'm listening, I was waiting for like fake crowd noise to be pumped in at some point, like they did with Train Kepler Rolling. Or, you know, just one of those, like, you, you knew it wasn't a live track, but that just, I think, hearing an audience scream or play along at certain parts would have really lifted this song up, just, you know, even though just, like, totally fake. But I think really would have worked for this. And I, I love that, you know, just, like, that urgent guitar riff that opens it up and those bastard-style drums, which, of course, this came first. So, and there's just, like, great rhythms. And, and this is just more 1970s hard rock. It's all go, go, go. It's all move forward. I didn't hear the Thin Lizzy as much as I hear Cheap Trick in this one especially towards the end it's kind of got that power poppy kind of feel to it you know like another great underrated 70s band and i don't think they're trying to sound like them it just i think kind of mine in the same same territory i I don't want to call this one filler because it's 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 too good to be filler but you can see this is not necessarily single territory this is a great album track this is what you need before you're right before you're ending so it's uh this is again playing to all of their strengths everything you want out of an aerosmith song before we move on to our final track track nine home tonight this one is kind of piano ballad-ish. It doesn't stay in that ballad thing. It kind of moves up into mid-tempo, but it's almost like harder-edged Elton John, you know, so it's just got that piano to it. And and of course, you know, Elton John was putting out great records in this era as well. And it's, you know, the slowest track on the album. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's it's a slow closer, but it's as close as they get. I'm just going to say the name Eric Schmidt and leave it there. He'll understand. <laughs> anyway, so I think this is, a, it's it puts a bow on this record, so it finishes up in a way that's a, a little bit slower. It's It's got a different tempos. We had talked about how there's just like the different flavors that they're playing around with while all still being kind of in the same family. And it's a great song. It's a great, it, it feels like an ending. And that's usually what I want from an album. I, I don't like when it's just like, you don't, you're, when you're still waiting for another song, 
I like those songs where you're like, yep, that's the last one. It feels like the last one. And that's what you get from this one. What do you think? Well, I agree. I mean, I can be kind of back and forth with this song. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do like this song. And um, I know this was the uh, song. I mean, Steven Tyler really liked uh, watch uh, writing ballads to serve as the album closers like uh, Dream On. It's a good song. I agree with you. Um, I kind of have um, this is where I go back and forth with the sequencing because um, I'm not exer- exactly sure if it were up to me, I would end, I would have ended the album with this. I mean, I kind of go back and forth with it. I mean, it could serve as an album closer. It couldn't, you know, it could be like uh, somewhere like uh, somewhere on the second side, maybe track seven or track eight or somewhere around there just kind of build it up because if you have an album title called rocks in this case i think you should um like do like a rocking and their album closer to just kind of you know service to like closing the book like on uh back in the saddle like this just kind of opens the book uh with back in the saddle and then you just got to close the book like say with a rocker like the album title promises i mean it's good really i think the uh true highlight of this song is brad whitford because um, like I said, we've been praising him throughout this entire album. And I think he's the uh, standout. Um, he's not disappointing with his uh, work throughout this entire album. That's what I think is the standout for the song. I mean, Steven's just singing about, you know, um, he'll be coming home tonight. Don't be sad for a uh, woman that he loves. You know, the piano riff really does not exactly, but it kind of reminds me of that dream on because it kind of goes like ding, 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 ding. Not exactly, but it just kind of kind of gives me that vibe. But I mean, it, I agree. It's a really I, I really do like the song. But to me, this ballad. It's not going to replace Dream On ever. If it has to be on this album, then yeah, I won't argue about it. So that brings us to our final thoughts. What are your final thoughts on this record, David? Well, 1976 was quite the year for music. Of course, this album came out in this year. Fantastic album. There's also Rainbows Rising. As a matter of fact, I tend to listen to albums that have, you know, when the anniversary of an album comes up. Rocks was at the anniversary of Rocks um, just passed uh, not too long ago. I think it was May 14th that this uh, album was released. This is a fantastic album for sure. Uh, the day after that was when Rainbows Rising was released. Oh my goodness, that's another fantastic album. Then you had uh, Thin Lizzy's Jailbreak, another great album. Uh, they also did Johnny the Fox. I want to give a shout out to Aaron Martell, the Ridiculous Rock Ragged Reviews podcast, because Kiss Destroyer came out in that year, and uh, that's his all-time favorite album. And um, they also did Rock and Roll Over, Blue Oyster Colts, Agents of Fortune, Boston Self-Titled Debut, ZZ Top's Tejas, and those are just to name a few. I mean, that's a very interesting year for music. And a lot of those albums are Desert Island albums for me. Rocks being one of those. The songs just promote what the album title promises. Aerosmith Rocks, Rocks. Enough said. Everybody in the band just completely bring their A-game to this album. Steven Tyler, of course, one of the greatest rock frontmen of all time, really showcasing why he was called the demon of screaming or screaming demon, how you pronounce, how you want to do it. Joe Perry was, of course, a uh, you know on his way of becoming a uh, guitar icon. Brad Whitford, Tom Hamilton, and Joey Kramer, which, of course, were the um, referred to as the least interesting three, they really contributed fantastic music. They stepped up to the plate with the songwriting in this album, and I think those guys are just completely underrated. I mean, if you... I know that they would... Um, I know Joe Perry and Brad Whitford will be out of the band kind of later on, but um, if you take those two out of the band, it's not the same. I mean, I've, I mean, I'm happy that they come back in uh, for their '80s material, but yeah, this is absolutely just fantastic album. Like I said, a Desert Island album for sure. Yeah, this is definitely my favorite Aerosmith record. I haven't really followed their career in a very long time, and I would encourage anybody if you only really know Aerosmith after they reinvented themselves. So if you're only familiar with their material after, let's say, '87 or '89 or '93 or something like that. It's really worth it to go back and check out their early catalog. You know, those first four, five, six records are, are 
they're fucking great. And I think this is a highlight. Uh, the album that came out before, the album came out after, both really good records as well. They, you know, they all have their moments, but I think this is just uh, they're probably their most solid outing from this early era. Recently, I finally decided to listen to uh, Toys in the Attic. Toys in the Attic is fantastic. Get Your Wings is fantastic. There's really good stuff in the you know, probably up until Night in the Ruts. I would like to encourage all of my listeners, if you have not done so already, to subscribe, to rate, review, whatever it is those things you're supposed to do so more people can listen to a podcast. I would like for you to do the same. For Davey, he's uh, doesn't have as much need as I do because he's got way more followers than I do on his YouTube channel. But uh, David, tell him one more time. What's the name of your YouTube channel? Davey Lee Smitty. I'll go ahead and spell that for you all. Capital D. A-V-E-Y, capital L-E-E, capital S-M-I-T-Y. And there's no spaces in between all that. If they want to go and check out my stuff, then hey, they can do as they please. So That's right. So uh, give them a follow, give them a subscribe, all the stuff that you're once again supposed to do on YouTube so uh, more people can see it. So he mainly uh, showing a lot of stuff with uh, Guitar Hero and different things like that and started some Van Halen. Last I looked, you had about three Van Halen reviews up. Yes. Feel free to uh, encourage him to put out more. Once again, David, thank you so much for joining the show. I really appreciate it. Taking a, a look at uh, well, a really fine, fine rock and roll record. And we'll talk to you next time. All right. Thank you so very kindly for having me on here. And I can't wait to hop back on here some other time. Thank you for listening. You can find all of our episodes at lovethisrecord.com. Intro and outro music by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers.